Ahe Mysteries, investigated by Patrick Muirhead, inspired by real events on a remote tropical island, but all characters and action depicted are imaginary. Time of Innocence, Episode 2. We were finally awoken by Claudette's third missed call, and Sebastian, nursing a throbbing head apparently worse than mine, whimpered instructions for me to deal with it. It was obscenely early on the morning after Ras Robbie's party, and I was reluctant. But sensing there would be peace no other way, I mustered the necessary strength and slid unsteadily from the marital bed. Clutching my phone, I let the dogs out, brewed Colombian coffee in a cafetiere, lit a Winston, and ambled naked onto the veranda to call Claudette back. Bonjour, comment ça va? I said, rubbing sleep from my eyes. Well, I'm probably feeling better than you are, said my former Say TV newsroom confidant. Late night, was it? I heard you were at the party of the year. Hardly touched a drop, I said. You didn't miss much. So what have you got for me? Claudette and I had a tacit understanding. We talked warmly, but rarely, picking up the phone only when there was some tasty titbit to impart. My head was pounding, but I knew her eagerness to rouse me surely meant that morning's communion would prove a far more effective hangover cure than any number of raw eggs with Worcester sauce. Two tourists found dead at their hotel, she said. American sisters in the same villa at Cateau Noir, discovered by the hotel manager last night. That's what people are saying on Seychelles Whispers. If you approved your Creole, then you'd know this stuff. I held the phone close to my ear and stared silently through the coconut trees to the turquoise ocean, slapping enticingly onto the shore beyond, processing Claudette's tidings. Cateau Noir? When? Natural death, or was there funny business? When is it ever natural for two sisters to die in the same hotel room on the same night, huh? She said. It seems they died around midnight, but you can't take this as gospel. There was some sort of argument. At least that's what people are posting. A commotion outside their villa that caused the manager to come there and find them. So there were witnesses... I said, recalling that Rich, Rasrovi's brother, was the resort's executive chef and had left the party after midnight to return there. Well, you know one of them, said Claudette, Bella Cado. She was there, apparently making some big scene outside their door. Worth interrupting your hangover for, right? I can't really imagine you writing about reggae music, not today. I thought about the piece I had to write for The Guardian but she was spot on. If it came to a choice between a write-up from the previous night's messy shorthand note on a subject about which I knew nothing, or chasing a real news story, there was no contest. I'll get down there, I said, and, and thanks. You work faster than Alka-Seltzer. Within 15 minutes, I had tethered the dogs, washed, thrown on a polo shirt and my most presentable shorts, and was skirting Oswalo southwards into battle. 
bare-chested fishermen were already laying out their sunrise catch of glistening zorb and carong beneath the takamaka trees as old women in colourful hats and floral dresses passed by from early church. It was a scene to be savoured, but the simple truth was it hardly registered, drawn as I was to the light of breaking news like the proverbial moth. In Seychelles, there was so often a head-swimming embarrassment of headline-making riches that too seldom translated compellingly to the screen, helped little by newsreaders such as Bella Cado, CTV's leading on-screen talent. The arts desk of The Guardian in London, anticipating my copy, would simply have to wait. Outside Cato Noir, among Mahe's most recherché and pricey destinations, a small pack of familiar local media faces was already beginning to circle. Two police constables were blocking the entrance as I cruised slowly past, knowing very well that little would be gained so early by waiting under a blazing sun for any official word. I drove on a short distance and nosed the moak into a narrow opening between some trees concealing a scruffy car park used by locals that abutted the beach. A few steps from there, the back of the resort adjoined the sand. Only a couple of Mauritians were on the shore, raking up sargassum from the last tide and arranging rattan lounges for the hotel's pampered patrons. Freelance now, finding a buyer for whatever I might uncover was far from my mind as I leapt from the moke and shuffled into some veloutier bushes to watch unobserved. More police had been stationed on the resort's beachside, and a fluttering cordon had been thrown around one of its outlying villas that was partially hidden from view behind a casuarina. But patience was quickly rewarded, as, the profit of a macabre hunch, I captured some smartphone video of the undertakers wheeling away two black body bags. The resort's general manager, Antoine Lavigne, whom I recognised instantly and knew well, shimmered between them and other guests looking on in horrified curiosity and spectacle. I felt for him, a smoothly charming French Sechois. We'd encountered each other many times at cocktail parties and Sebastien's hospitality college events. But for Paul Antoine, a double death on the premises was a professional nightmare. Bad tidings for TripAdvisor and a far tougher job than selling specials on the dinner menu. The geography of the scene was clear. To the right was the villa's front door, shielded by police forensics officers in the white overalls of the science unit. To the left, beyond the resort's deserted central swimming pool, was the main hotel bar, an open-air thatched cabana next to the entrance to the resort's small and only restaurant. At exclusive properties such as Cato Noir, patronised mostly by European honeymooners, guests seldom ventured far from their butler-serviced villas. A little daytime sightseeing, perhaps, or a visit to the bar for some evening entertainment was the typical extent of exploration. But visitors such as the deceased American sisters were a rarity, not least because of the travelling distance, the need to cross several oceans proved an effective deterrent. Those Americans who did were seeking simplicity and stillness, not sandals. 
and were more likely than not wealthier world travellers on multiple stop itineraries. The sisters were clearly not newlyweds, but it seemed they had a companion, a shouty, youngish American sporting almost indecent day-glow shorts and an open bathrobe, who was protesting loudly to two plainclothes detectives. I was too far away to hear much, but it was evident from his rant and the placating efforts of the officers that he was more than a casual holiday acquaintance. I returned to the moat satisfied that I'd gathered more broadcast quality footage than any sunshine cameraman could ever be cajoled to shoot, and drove back around to the front of the property, pondering what to do with it. There, I decided to scope out what, if anything, the rest of the hack pack had gleaned. Many bonjours were exchanged, and inquiries into my current activities politely parried, but I learned little. They'd witnessed the mortuary band departing, and there was talk of a police press conference at some future unspecified time, perhaps when a plausible downplaying of events had been carefully concocted. But I lingered a while, hopeful that the resort owners might utter a few words to encourage the media to disperse. Before long, they did. Antoine Lavigne emerged from the property looking hot and flustered, flanked by Detective Chief Inspector Achille Ducasse, Taciturn head of Seychelles Police CID, and his sergeant, Agnès Laudan. We knew each other, of course, and I caught the eye of each and smiled, but with camera lenses trained on them, perhaps wisely, my greetings were not returned. The media shuffled forward with microphones as the hotel manager dabbed his brow with a handkerchief and nervously unfolded a statement under the watchful police officer's gaze to a chorus of clattering camera shutters. As you will be aware, he said, there has been a most regrettable incident. I can confirm with the kind understanding and support of the Seychelles police, he gestured to Dugas, who nodded approvingly, that two guests who've been staying with us, Le Mademoiselle Lois, a Patty Bowski from the United States, they passed away suddenly and unexpectedly last night. The matter is now in the hands of Monsieur Dugas. He will be updating you the media in due course. However, on behalf of Catenois, I wish to express my sincere condolences to the family and friends of the deceased. And with the good of our other most valued guests in mind, I have nothing more to add. He and the two police officers turned to leave. It was typical of Dugas to avoid the spotlight, even after successful high-profile prosecutions. He was old school, from a less talkative era, when officers of the law were agents of the one-party state apparatus, under instruction to say as little as possible. But I knew a way to prize a fuller interpretation of events from his DS, with a little help from Claudette, her sister-in-law, and resolved to do so later. And there was Rich, the resort's executive chef, who would surely have heard some details. In the meantime, I wanted to corner Lavigne in private to check out some of Claudette's reporting of the online gossip, not least about Bella Caddo. I left the press huddle grumbling and agreeing their top line. Sebastian called my phone. Where are you? It's Sunday. That means you cook. 
I'm at Cateau Noir, I said. Two sisters have been found dead in their villa. Claudette called me. Do you have a number for Robbie's brother, Rich? But wait, what are you doing down there? He sucked his teeth. You have a job already for the Guardian. You were supposed to be doing that and making us some money. Or else the full English breakfast you're supposed to be making could be our last, you get me? Well, the poached eggs will have to wait, I said. I won't be long. You better promise, mister, or else decalot. He rang off, and I watched the remnants of the media posse returning to their cars. When the last of them had gone, I skirted around to the resort's staff entrance, 50 meters or so along the road, and ducked beneath the shade of a boudamier tree to see if my second hunch of the morning would yield results. After 20 minutes, I had seen only Dugas and his DS being driven away in an unmarked police car. But then, on cue, the portal to the resort's back of house, the area unseen by guests that comprised kitchens, HR offices and the staff canteen, opened to reveal Antoine Lavigne heading out. He was followed soon after by his executive chef, who was clutching a crash helmet. I stepped forward and called them. But I cannot talk to you, monsieur, said Antoine. You know this perfectly. The police have asked me to say nothing, especially to the media. Rich stepped to his superior's side, and I looked at him imploringly as he shook his head. You heard. My lips are sealed. Sorry, buddy. You know I'd love to help. But you must be able to tell me something, off the record. I just want to confirm what I've heard. Is it true that Bella Caddo from Say TV was involved? The two men looked at each other. Antoine turned to me slowly and sighed. Off the record? He said. Off the record, you have my word. Well, yes, but it's not what you think. Mademoiselle Caddo was here last night. She has relatives from England staying in the resort. They had been in the bar having, well, I can say, a heated discussion. And after, she went to find them in their villa, but she went to the wrong villa and was making disturbance. She had maybe, as you British say, one too many. Tu comprends? Anyway, I don't think she has anything to do with what happened. This is just a, a tragedy, the police say. Nothing more than that. But if she was at the wrong villa... Who was she making noise with? I asked. Antoine frowned. Another guest. They were having an argument, apparently. Some other guests heard this, and you know, this is not the reputation of this resort. So I came and we sorted it out, and, and then I discovered the two Americans tragically deceased. Another guest, I said. You are pushing this. But yes, Mr. Somers. He is the friend of the two ladies who sadly passed. He was concerned, so we entered the villa and we found them. But I do not want you bothering him. He's very emotional this morning, as you can imagine. And where were you when they called you? He indicated towards Rich. We were in the kitchen office. Rich was showing me the figures for the night audit. And this is after midnight. So it was a late night, and now it's morning, and I haven't had any rest. I need to get home for a few hours. And you, Rich, were with him, right? I said. Rich nodded. 
You heard Mr. Lavigne. After I left you at the party, my taxi brought me back here. We were going through the figures, and Mr. Lavigne was called over. I finished up, and that's all I can tell you. Why don't you ask the police? I threw him a doubtful look. Well, take a guess, I said. I get more juice from a coconut. And we know each other, you, Antoine, me. It was a last and admittedly feeble attempt to unlock whatever they knew. Allez, c'est tout, said Antoine. A bientôt, monsieur. And remember, on the record, we don't want a scandal. I'm sure you can understand. He left me, and I trailed after Rich to his scooter. The answer's still no, mate. I'm sorry, he said, pulling on his crash helmet and sliding onto the saddle. He fired up its tinny starter. You're a Sichuan, right? I said. By birth and breeding, maybe. Perhaps not by instinct. Why? he asked. I decided to take a chance to see if appealing to him as a fellow outsider, in my case by nationality if not in his, might break him down to reveal something. Well, what does it mean for Sichuan say... Someone sends you a message they put inside a snail shell. You what? He shook his head and laughed. I have literally no idea, buddy. Something like Grigri sounds like. You know, all that witchcraft rubbish. You reporters, really. But look, if I tell you something, you didn't hear it from me. Talk to that Nirved. Nirved Bandara. Sri Lankan lad, the villa butler. He was here last night, looking after the sisters. You might get something out of him, if there's anything to say. He rode away, leaving me with both a lead and a twinge of unease. The Mahe Mysteries was created by Patrick Muirhead and Lindsay Farabo. It was written, narrated, and produced by Patrick Muirhead. Music was by Isham Rath. It was an operculum media production, recorded on location in Mahe Island, Seychelles. Hello everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.